0: welcome once again to the world's most exciting probably most award decorated podcast in the world if i haven't said the world enough welcome to group chat after dark michael it is so good to see your smiling face once again
1: Worldwide, 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 worldwide. Yeah, it's group chat, it's worldwide. It's it's a phenomenon that cannot be stopped. It's on the YouTubes and the podcast app of your choice. And we're coming for you, cable television. Speaking of, I would
0: like to, not speaking of cable television, but speaking of the YouTubes, I would like to apologize. There apparently was an issue with last month's episode. I don't know how this happened. But uh, one of our listeners reported to me that when they click the link to the latest episode, it would take them to the previous month's episode, which was our episode on Jack Rebney. And I was like, well, that's, there's no way. Uh, So I go and I test it out and I was like, no, it takes me to our latest episode at the time. I actually sent the link to my wife and said, click this from your phone and see if that took her to that episode. Shortly after that, I noticed that YouTube had replaced for some. There's something messed up. So it it actually, for whatever reason, posted our previous episode twice, even though it initially was correct. So I don't know what's happened, but uh, I and YouTube is kind of a pain in the ass where it won't let you replace a video. Uh, you have to delete yes, it and, yes. and completely upload it again. Before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, group chatters
1: our editing department is pretty pretty lackluster um, and they tend to to not do things completely so i i, I blame false them. false this is an error on youtube's part because it
0: did work in my initial testing not only on an apple device but an android device it went right to the correct video so i don't know something happened in youtube where it it, it messed up after it had been initially uploaded so i don't know what to really do about it other than Delete it and upload it again, so I may do that when I post this episode. But either way, well, the, the one sorry. person that watches it, yes. we're very sorry.
1: We're sorry that the the video stream is not available for you at yes. your viewing pleasure. We will address the matter with yes. YouTube shortly. Yes, um, I,
0: we got to get YouTube down here to film this.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Anyway, uh, we, but anyway, we're back and we're here for another episode. But before we get into the real meat of this episode i gotta know i'm in a filthy hotel room once again yeah i need to scrub it i need i need something that's really going to cleanse it of its filth.
1: wow what what do you think you you really you really nailed that one that was good i'm impressed i'm impressed you definitely want to check out scrub daddy uh the the world famous scrub daddy the most high or what, what how do they phrase it the best selling product in the history of shark tank the scrub daddy not to be confused with scrub mommy uh, it's it's sister brand Um, and now they have scrub family. um, I think I was reading something about it recently, Uh, but you should definitely check it out. If you need to clean up some messes, um, check out some, some things that you have going on um, and, and give it, give it a go. They even have the dish daddy. If you're interested in that uh you know i have a little scrubber thing from like sink that you scrub the, the pans and stuff with but um check out the dish daddy if you're interested in uh looking for some some dish you know dish satisfaction and you can use it with the scrub daddy power paste
0: i have not used the power paste actually i've never used any scrub daddy products but i own a few of them so well, you should. I will check them out.
1: Yeah, I do scrub. know
0: one of our listeners, big into the scrub daddy. He went and bought scrub daddies because of this podcast. So, scrub daddy executives, marketing people, if you're listening, you could have an you, are, you could have an audience of tens, mm-hmm, ten, maybe even a dozen people would hear about the scrub daddy, and you would be selling more, at least a dozen more than you're selling right now.
1: Yeah, this is an audience you're not even reaching right now. So come on, get on board. Think of the missed opportunities in the audience of random people that Magal and I know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just wanting to hear about stupid things that we post on the internet. Um, You you could be reaching them and getting them to invest in your product and grow your company. Yep. So just
0: think about that because then we could invest in more things like this fantastic sign here. Uh, that is definitely really behind me and not at all a virtual background
1: and we could pay an editor to edit our youtube videos
0: we could or we might be able to get somebody to uh, help us do better time management so we wouldn't be shoving these episodes out right before the last minute every month
1: yes and maybe some content development so we could uh, totally have a topic at, at least 15 minutes before we film
0: yes because i must say Michael has been driving the podcast for the last few episodes <laughs> because I am the worst and have not come up with topics. Michael comes up with a topic and I even texted him today in response to his topic idea that he is so much better at this than I am. So I cannot, uh, while I do a lot for this podcast on the back end, Michael, we wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for Michael picking topics. So Michael, my hat, my theoretical hat is off to you.
1: I'm, I'm excited to to talk about this today because... Uh, when I was in elementary school, my best friend's favorite band was none other than Limp Biscuit. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was really hard into Limp Biscuit for a few years. So I'm excited to talk about it. But we've been talking about this actually in in group chat. So it's it's real conversation we've had in the group chat um, about these documentaries that have been coming out around Woodstock '99. Mm-hmm. uh the the one that i've seen so ben's seen a couple others but the one that i've seen is the one on netflix i think it's just called woodstock 99 and there's some kind of subtitle or something
0: i think it's called train wreck that's I, right or something like that yeah I mean, train wreck is in there somewhere
1: yeah um so i wanted to talk about the uh the history of woodstock 99 and the absolute shit show that it ended up being um and then also talk about just but what the with the kids called butt rock circa, you know, 2000, 2001, uh, a little Limp Biscuit, some kid rock, maybe some Creed in there. I think Creed was on the, on the show list and they pulled out, but um, it's going to be a fun one. So uh, let's, uh, let's just jump in here. Um, so uh, Woodstock 99 was a, they brought it back as a, a copy of the Woodstock that they had done in the sixties. Something that I didn't know before I watched the documentary is that they'd actually been doing Woodstock's like Woodstock revivals for a few years at that point. This was like the one that they finally got like corporate sponsorship for, but they'd done a couple and they just had failed for various reasons. Maybe uh, just people didn't show up or, uh there was a lot of people like breaking down barricades and stuff One when, when they had it it was, it was like super rainy so there was mud everywhere and they had like a, a chicken wire fence around it and people just tore it down and, and went in and listened for free i believe um, that
0: was woodstock 94 both those incidents was was 94 they decided to try it again
1: yeah so so they were like gonna give it another go they got a corporate sponsorship for this one um big record label signed on and, and so they tasked the guy so it actually ended up being the the original planner of the uh-huh. first Wood, uh, woodstock jo- joined the team and was there but um as the documentaries will point out and if you haven't seen it this is a spoiler alert so you should probably turn this off by now <laughs> um but uh this was a money-making venture for these companies they were yeah they were in it to make money off of people coming to see the bands and and hopefully um, make a profit off all the stuff that they're spending. So um, they were try- they were tasked with finding a location that was not only large enough to hold the people, but also had enough security um, so that people couldn't break down the chicken wire fence and get in and listen for free. And I'll let, uh, I'll let Ben fill it in for here, but what did they end up finding as the host site? I can't remember the exact
0: location. It was in New York. They found Rome, New York is the location. Rome, New York. There you go. It was a decommissioned uh, military base, Uh, no longer in use, but what they thought was kind of a brilliant move because of the size of it and they had there was already facilities on there was a hospital there were you know there, there were there were plenty of facilities there was there were bunk houses there were Buildings, lots of things yeah. they had hangars and things for you know because th- th- at this point music had evolved to electronic music so they were going to have like all night rave parties and things with DJs and so they thought they had found this perfect site which i guess in theory uh, it, it would have been great to accommodate them. However, the weather and, as Michael pointed out, their uh, attempt to capitalize on the original Woodstock, which was all about peace, love, and music, uh, they, they really wanted to put dollar signs on all that. And so they cut corners in a lot of places. As Michael said, the security was really just <laughs> random people that they gave security the shirts Peace to. Patrol, man.
1: The, the Peace, peace Patrol. Patrol.
0: Excuse me, the Peace Patrol. Really, just random guys that they gave shirts to and said, You're now part of the event security here. No, and in both documentaries that I have seen, because there's also a documentary HBO did, uh, I think it may just be called Woodstock 99. Both documentaries interviewed members of the Peace Patrol that basically said, Yeah, we didn't have any training and we knew we had no idea what we were doing. They're just like, You want to be on the Peace Patrol? And we're like, Sure. And that, that was <laughs> your interview for... for and the then album. other
1: guys were selling the Peace Patrol shirts because like mm-hmm. idiots thought they would get them like exclusive access to the bands yeah. and stuff. So they were like selling it for the price of a ticket and then yeah. they would just be already in there. So um, yeah. they basically made money for <laughs> mm-hmm. being on the Peace Patrol.
0: Yeah, because I think that the Netflix documentary, the guy's like, yeah, I've got more shirts. So I sold a few of them <laughs> because people thought it would get them backstage and get them access to things that they, they didn't have, which was not the case. Um, but yeah, this was all they would, the, the promoters would deny this, I'm sure, uh, for the rest of their lives, but this was a corner cutting money-making scheme. They, they cut any sort of budgets where they could to, to make them more profitable for them. And as we will discuss throughout the, through the meat of this podcast, that really came back to bite him in the ass in pretty much every way possible.
1: Yeah, in a lot of ways, I didn't. I didn't expect, so it was pretty, pretty wild. Um, I, I was, I think so. Woodstock '99. I was nine when this happened, so um, I probably was not in the target demo at the time. But uh, it was pretty wild. I was not familiar with a lot of the stuff they went through. I had I knew about it just from, you know, people talking about it later on. But um, it was pretty wild. So this military base they selected as an air force base, which means it's basically just a place for planes to take off. So there's like no, (laughs) there's no grass. It's all concrete and, and pavement. Um, And so, uh, and they had this thing in the middle of the summer. So the temperatures were getting up to like a hundred degrees. And so it started and people were like, yeah, it's hot and whatever, but it's not too bad. We've got water. Apparently according to the Netflix doc, um, they made you dump everything out when you came in, so you couldn't take any water in there with you, I guess to keep you from smuggling stuff in, I don't really know, but um that ended up killing them uh in the long run, but they were doing Almost well literally, yeah, they were doing pretty pretty okay. you know, Cheryl Crow was playing the the crowd was kind of like Frat bros, so um they were a little bit weird with Cheryl Crow, but um, it it was starting to go okay and then the first night is kind of where where shit really started to hit the fan um and and honestly it wasn't too bad um so they had somebody on before corn i think and then corn was like the headliner that night um and so the corn the corn show started and the crowd just went wild and nuts um, and the the lead singer of Korn said that, like, he's never seen a crowd like that before. Um, and,
0: well, and, and I forget if you've got attendance numbers pulled up. I mean, this there really haven't been music shows like this before, and that was kind of their goal. They wanted to have the biggest concert in the history of the world, and I think they achieved that. If, if some of the numbers I recall from the
1: 400,000 people. Uh, and the gross on ticket sales, I believe, were $28,864,748. Yeah. Um, they advertised the count to two, $250,000. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, 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 it's uh, the Wikipedia article says it was estimated that ticket sales uh, were estimated uh, $60 million in revenue. Yeah. So, and that's um,
0: the, the lead singer, Korn, described it. You know, he said, it, he's like, you know we do lots of concerts. You're used to going on stage, but he said, you're not used to seeing a literal ocean of humanity. Yeah. and and as the 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 area that they were in was so big that as the music was hitting, of course, the way sound travels, you could see the music hitting the crowd as they were reacting to it. So he said it was like literal waves. You could see
1: waves, yeah of
0: of the music hitting the people and the people in the back reacting, you know, well after the people in the front. And it, it just, you know, I can't imagine, like I'm kind of getting tingly to thinking about seeing something like that. I can't imagine as a performer being on a stage like that and seeing something like that. So it, it started off kind of cool. Like they were, they were achieving what they wanted. The problem was, and you pointed it out, frat bros. <laughs> uh, something that I was really struck by in both documentaries was, uh, and I, I was, 13 14 around this time so i knew this was happening but it didn't really yeah. resonate with me i didn't really get why or you know it wasn't something i was super into so i it didn't make much sense but looking back on it now as a somewhat worldly adult like there were no it was all white people like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i mean like just in uh, in all that this massive humanity it was all angsty mostly male white you know college kids uh yeah did you
1: did you catch the easter egg uh in the in the netflix documentary uh uh, one of the attendees they showed they had they had some old video footage from it one of the attendees was uh, a white man but he was no other than the miz Uh, oh i did see the miz was there yeah i
0: thought i was like wait a minute was that
1: because he says like
0: mtv something like <laughs> yeah. into the camera and i was like was that the Miz?" and i was. wasn't really paying that much attention but yeah yeah okay so there you go perfect <laughs> perfect example <laughs> if you know who the Miz is you can imagine what the rest of the crowd looked like because that was pretty much
1: the that crowd, crowd. would stock yeah. 99 yeah apparently tickets cost uh at the time they cost 150 dollars which to me is not outrageous for no. uh, what a three-day show three-day yeah three-day all over or or 16 yeah. bands yeah um so uh, uh, wikipedia conveniently did the conversion so in 2021 dollars that's 240 bucks which is getting up there um but you
0: know but still when you break it down by a day and how many bands you're seeing and everything you know which like say on paper it's like it's actually a pretty good value yeah because i'm assuming you it means i also get to camp there you know i i don't know perhaps because i don't think either the documentaries really covered that you the ticket got you in and then of course you had to pay for food and everything but i don't i'm I'm assuming they also didn't have to buy camping spots what
1: netflix said is there was a camping area for a certain amount of people Uh, um so i don't know if they sold tickets to everybody to camp or not okay i couldn't figure that part out yeah um but i did find that uh a lot more people, they, they probably underreported ticket sales on purpose to have to keep from paying vendors certain amounts of money. Probably. Um, so it, was, it may have been more than 400,000 people. Because um, one of the things that they
0: point out in the documentaries was the fact that in one of the cost-cutting measures, they sold all the rights to food. Uh, all the food and beverage rights were sold to, to keep costs down, which meant... They didn't have to buy any of that to to supply. Yeah, you know. So the pricing of all the food and beverage items was up to the vendor. Well, and how got, much was
1: food at the original Woodstock? Did you catch that part?
0: It was free. Yeah. Everything was free. Yeah, um, they gave food away because it was all about peace, love, and everybody getting along. Which you know they, I, I Woodstock was this mythical thing. You know, growing up, I, I knew it was a thing. I didn't really understand what it was, or or I just. I always saw it as a as a, a dirty hippie party where they were doing drugs and listening to music. But according to a lot of these reports, it was, it went great. There was, there were, there were really no issues. And they, you know, like I knew like Jimi Hendrix played and, and did his thing and everybody like, but I didn't know that it was actually like a unity festival. Like everybody actually got along and it was a great thing. So yeah, they, they decided to capitalize on everything for the woodstock 99 30 years after the original woodstock and they they this this was the first thing that really started kind of biting them in the ass was to michael's point you couldn't bring any drinks in well so a bottle of water in
1: 1999 was yeah. upwards of four dollars yeah Maybe, which we look at and we're like oh that's normal but yeah. back then like it caught the store a bottle of water was like 89 cents yeah <laughs> much less than a dollar right uh, so yeah so so you, you get them in
0: at $150 a pop, which is, you know, fairly, fairly high for $99. And then, oh, if you want a bottle of water, it's four bucks mm-hmm. each time. And there's supposed to be free water available yet. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so things continue to spiral.
1: From yeah. There. Well, and let's talk about, so you mentioned something interesting. Like the original Woodstock, it went really well. Um, at this point in time the type of music they were going after was just totally different so in 1999 we'd come out of grunge you know people are tired of kind of you know doing the um, angsty type of music and and now it's all about like angry Uh, white man rebelling against the machine new metal there you go um and so you got uh these people that are that were organizing the original woodstock don't i don't think really understood the type of bands that they were booking for this new woodstock um nor do they really care i think it's more just uh, these are the big names i want to get the most people i can so let's do that but uh i think it's interesting to think about the type of people that are attracted to the music that was being showcased at the event um that seemed to to lead to a lot of interesting problems so the first night i think uh was it was it bush that closed things up Bush
0: yeah. bush came on after corn
1: yeah bush. and so bush is is a little bit like more chill um just a little bit and so the netflix documentary specifically pointed to gavin rossdale as being like uh, somebody that could read the crowd and kind of brought him down for the night yeah. so that they could go to the raves or whatever overnight and and which is actually
0: that's that's pretty impressive because i i and even lead center corn mentions and i forget what is it what is his name jonathan jonathan something yeah i think it's jonathan davis uh he he's like i kind of felt bad for bush because he's like you know we we got him into such a frenzy and then to go on after that when when a crowd that with a crowd that big to try and control it and to bush's credit I guess specifically they, they really kind of put it on Gavin Rossdale's shoulders. He was able to to control the crowd, to bring them back to a more kind of neutral, you know, maybe not completely chilled out, but to bring them back from the frenzy that Cornyn whipped them into. So that's it's actually pretty impressive to be able to bring a crowd that size back down to earth. So
1: Yeah. So so that was like day one. Uh, there was overnight uh, raves in the hangars, which is pretty cool to think about um yeah. it's a big room that they've got people yeah. in but um apparently that went decent and then you started day two uh, people reported on day two they were waking up and uh there were these dudes or i guess there was also women it didn't look like very many women were there um but they were playing in the mud right so there was mud from some kind of water source and uh, mix and people were sliding around mixing around in it which was a big thing at, at the yeah. first voice talk in the 60s um you know as creed said i think there was a lot of uh, mud a lot of rain and it, it's yeah. possible a man slipped in you, yeah. you'd never know no way of knowing. um but, but uh they were recreating that kind of feel uh come to find out the mud the mud was made of something special so let's talk about what the what the mud was made out of
0: in another brilliant corner-cutting method, they had farmed out all the sanitation, and not really done so in a in a very economical way. There were a few trucks to <laughs> to clean the porta potties, and uh, you know, crowd that size, you're not going to get all that done in time. So basically, all the porta potties were overflowing uh, at one point, and I can't remember. The timing may be different on this, but at some point there's a a loud outcry for water from the crowd, and they burst a a pipe that's, yeah. that's providing water, which then gets into the runoff from the porta potties and creates the mud.
1: Yeah. Which, it's really just shit water it's shit water (laughs) it's shit water yeah yeah it is uh they were uh they were with uh, flopping around in shit water actually Uh led to people getting um what they call trench mouth and everybody's heard of trench foot from world war one but there's also one called trench mouth so if you're drinking contaminated water um you're going to get sores and it's actually it's the herpes virus is what it is and that's Um, that
0: i did not know that from the first documentary i had seen they did not go into that they obviously went into the 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 lack of water and and bursting the pipe and everything and the shit water but they didn't then go you know the netflix documentary goes into the fact that they tested the water mm -hmm. they had you know uh sanitation come in to test the water and every single water site was off the charts contaminated with bacteria that you know it's, yeah. it's not drinkable water that they were serving people from the free water sites
1: yeah um, because they had like fountains and things for you to refill mm-hmm. your bottle refill your bottle be eco-friendly whatever yeah. take a shower whatever um so people were drinking from the showers which is never a good idea because it's just Ew. recycled water um it's shit water <laughs> so so they were swimming around in the shit um mm-hmm. and Literally, having a good time partly. doing it um so that was that was pretty disgusting. And I guess people at the festival learned quickly to avoid the people that were covered in mud um, because it's not mud, Dang. but uh, that was, that was pretty gross. Um, and then because so not they only have out you been gouged every now, which way now you're covered in shit and you're getting sick and, and it's going to get really hot and they farmed out the sanitation, which also includes trash guys. So there's just trash everywhere. People are throwing trash just in the floor. They're throwing it. They throw it in trash cans, but the trash cans are overflowing. Well, so that it's yeah, just kind of like a. To scene. their
0: credit, once you know they they did put it in the receptacles, yet <laughs> they never got emptied. So then it's being blown out, which makes people think, "Oh, everybody's just throwing it on the ground, so we may as well throw it in ground too." So right. I don't think it started as just throw it on the ground, but once it gets to be out of hand, well. There's no point in putting it in the trash can because it's gonna end up on the ground anyway.
1: Yeah. And so during his set, why uh, for some reason Wyclef John played this show. I don't know why, but he did. Oh, he was um, popular at the time. <laughs> and uh he was like he uh it was ending his set, he was he was all pumped and he was like he told the crowd to grab whatever trash was around him and pelt it at the stage. And yeah. everybody literally did that, and he broke a guitar and then he left. he decided to play uh the
0: national anthem
1: that's right yeah much like jimmy hendrix jimmy hendrix would would stock
0: so for whatever reason he announces to the crowd while i play this feel free to throw your water bottles at the stage i don't know why because then the footage from the netflix documentary he's just he's playing kind of with his head down yes he doesn't get hit hit by a bottle yeah yeah like that seems much more difficult so why would you want why would you encourage people to throw garbage at you while you're playing but you know, whatever. I'm not an artist, so maybe I don't understand.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I don't get it either. But that was so. There's trash everywhere. It's it's over a hundred degrees. You're on concrete. There's shit water flowing everywhere, uh, and now you have to pay eighteen dollars for a bottle of water and a pretzel. <sighs> so <laughs> people are just getting consistently pissed. Yeah. Their their bullshit meter is just going up and up yeah. and up and up, and and so it's like. How much can people take? Um, well, it turns out they can take a little bit more. So, the second day keeps going. There, different people are playing, um, and the the headliner for the second night is uh, none other than than Fred Durst and the band behind me, which is uh, I'm sorry, Limp, you're the biscuit. I have to step in and introduce.
0: You wanted the worst. <laughs> you got the worst. The
1: one. The only limp biscuit limp biscuit yes because i was
0: as i mentioned 13 to 14 years old during this time so naturally chocolate starfish in the hot dog
1: flavored water
0: i'm a huge limp biscuit fan and this is even this is even this is a couple years before chocolate flavored chocolate
1: chocolate starfish whatever it it was yeah
0: hot dog flavored water uh this is before that this was uh nookie was the big hit which was on and this shows how dirty i was about it that was on their significant other album it was their second album and it was huge so of course i had the cd if you don't know what those are kids uh i had the the disc um limp biscuit was everywhere and i was there for it man uh they were very popular
1: they were very popular (laughs) looking back on it i mean i don't really find their music all that it's not good it's not good music yeah um but for the time it was like the shit for me the
0: nostalgia is still what makes me like for whatever reason this morning and i know it's not their song originally but this morning in the shower i couldn't stop singing faith which was a george michael song that they then covered and gave this whole new edge to um but that was i had never heard the george michael version when limp biscuit came around so i i was like this is revolutionary shit man uh but this morning today 2022 i'm taking a shower and faith is going through my head wow uh so yeah the, like so i get the nostalgia for the Limp biscuit music because in my quote-unquote formative years that was a big soundtrack to it uh so and then of course the song that they play that breaks everything apart what i i still love that song to be
1: honest with you yes it's really good when you're pissed off the
0: energy even if you're not like for me even if i'm not pissed off it's just when that song breaks when it when it really breaks down i get so pumped and it's like and that must be the basic white teenage boy inside me (laughs) still lives still lives there and and i if i hear that song to this day i get this kind of crazy energy from that song and it's hard to explain but yeah and for me it was never about being pissed off it was just like this is fucking great like yeah. this this music is is great which it wasn't but anyway
1: <laughs> yeah break stuff was there that was their uh what they were kind of kind of gunning for that was their last song i think they actually got got the hook um the the organizers pulled them off the stage um but i think i think they tried to portray it as that oh okay because
0: and i don't know because again i wasn't there and didn't watch but in in both documentaries they sort of tried to vilify limp biscuits specifically fred dirks
1: yeah well because um, he came out and said before yeah yeah, nookie, yeah. That before they played nookie he's like it's time to let yourself go because there ain't no motherfucking rules right yeah. now he um, even
0: and he said it's like a famous He's like, take all that negative energy. When this song breaks down, I want you to take all that negative energy. If you've got girl problems, job problems, like money problems, take all that negative energy. And when this song breaks down, I want you to break down. Yep. So he, he. I mean, certainly, but it, it again, going you back Limp to
1: Biscuit, you book you Biscuit
0: Limp at the biggest concert in the world. So, one of the biggest bands in the world at the time what's what so i i i have trouble again because both documentaries seem to to point the blame especially from the promoter's side of things yeah the promoters point the finger solely at fred durst and say that he fucked everything up and he got this crowd
1: he, he amped everybody up and then just left yeah and he did but yeah. what that's was what he he's paid to, to do, do? Yeah, yeah like
0: i mean as a as a as an entertainer are you not supposed to go out and entertain and 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 to get the crowd to a level in which they've never been? Like, I mean, so it's like yes and no, but it, yeah, like the the problem I have with blaming Limp Biscuit, not just as a fanboy back in the day, but I mean, Fred Durst is a fucking moron. There's there's no <laughs> denying that. I I he, he's a moron. Uh, he probably should have had some of Bush's frontman's. Insight to have some coof. let's bring this in. maybe we don't play break stuff
1: <laughs> for this crowd <laughs> yeah right or, um, or don't play it last
0: yes yeah, so maybe maybe or maybe just just play it straight like right off the album maybe not amp it up so he should have probably been able to read the crowd but again how are you not going to try to tear the house down literally and figuratively at the biggest concert in the world so there's that but when you fuel the fire sorry for the foreshadowing there, when you fuel the fire of the crowd of not enough uh, resources to go around, yeah. you're you're, swimming, you're literally wallowing through shit to get to the stage. They're, they're pretty pissed off. Yeah, the, yeah. I, I mean, and they're in the sweltering heat, they're big price gouged everywhere. You are literally poking the bear at every turn
1: and we're in this, yeah.
0: in this era of angry music. so yeah like and there's even a guy in the netflix documentary who's like i i actually brought up the fact in a meeting that i don't think you realize the lineup you've got here what you're doing and they're like shut the fuck up little hippie boy yeah (laughs) You, you don't know we're trying to make money here and he's like don't you realize the energy this is all you put you put you know Limp biscuit and corn and just and kid rock and just all this kind of new metal stuff, it's gonna it's gonna bring some energy that you might not want and they're like, yeah, yeah, pipe down kid right, yeah.
1: so anyway, and I apologize. so does. no no, no. I, it's good. Uh, and so there's a scene uh, and you I, I think everybody's seen it by now, but Fred durst is crowd surfing <laughs> on top of this piece of plywood that the people had ripped off of the, the fence. Because they put plywood on the fence, so you couldn't see through it, uh, and so they, they ripped this plywood off. And we're holding actually, it I think, the and plywood was from like their towers,
0: like the the oh. sound towers and things, oh, that's right. because they didn't yeah. want people to go up on them. That's right. And they had yeah. ripped them down, and they started crowd surfing. Because there's a video that I'll actually include in the um, show notes. <laughs> there's a video where Fred Durst is having trouble knowing whether or not they can hear. Yeah, the crowd can hear him
1: this is a funny video i've seen and, yeah and it yet. goes
0: on they're they're having some maybe some audio issues i can't tell if maybe he just wasn't getting in his monitor he, he couldn't hear something was going on and he's like can you hear me and he's like yelling at the crowd and there's not much of a response and he's like what and he at one point he goes that's pretty dope crowd surfing on the plywood so then at some point the plywood makes it up to the stage and fred Durst crowd surfs on it even though there's like six people from the stage like holding him from getting away <laughs> and, and he's like, stomping
1: on the plywood i mean he, it's not, yeah you know.
0: yeah so he's on it and there are people holding it up and they're trying to kind of move it but people there are other people holding the plywood and holding on to friend so it's it's kind of a Anticlimactic visual but it's pretty funny to watch but anyway i'll include that video i'll find that uh video of him trying to figure out the if the crowd can hear him and put it in the show notes yeah because
1: it's pretty funny but they so so Lynn biscuit hypes this crowd up they just leave uh and so you've got this pissed off crowd That and that was the end of the night so um they were like looking for things to do so they go to this rave right uh which is running all night long in the in the hangar um, so people are in there raving. Uh, this is this is the height of Fatboy Slim, which is uh, funny to think about now because I think that was all of like thirty days. But wow. um, Fatboy Slim, know. you were too young. Fatboy Slim was in the he's in the hangar. He's doing his his thing, uh, and all of a sudden, there's two headlights pop up from the far back of the crowd, and he's like, "What the hell is going on?" Turns out some somebody got intoxicated and/or high on something and drove a truck into the hangar that they had just found sitting i guess it was some event staff or something it's like
0: an ambulance or something yeah. i feel like it was like a big it, it was like some sort of responder vehicle i can't remember exactly what yeah. it was but yeah
1: it... they drove it in the fat boy slim set and fat boy slim had to stop yeah and and, and they had to go commandeer the um the vehicle uh unfortunately they found some stuff in there which yeah, I, I don't really, really think it's for us to get into too much no. but um some bad stuff happened in the vehicle mm-hmm. and uh you know that is kind of the escalation point for the rest of the event
0: well so, so the the hangar because the yeah they, the the stuff in the hangars would go on after the main mm-hmm. stage events so they'd go i mean all literally all night long the, yeah. the shows would end at like 10 11 o'clock And then till six in the morning, you can party all night in the hangar and rave, but it apparently was like a lawless swamp in the, (laughs) uh, I mean, even more so than the rest of the facility in the hangars in the dark. Yeah, it's dark. There's uh, nobody in yeah. there
1: like policing it.
0: No, there. I mean, the, the reports of, you know, just people handing out drugs, handing out ecstasy and, and God knows what else. And just like lines of people fucking like, you yeah. I just I, like. I could not imagine being in that environment where it's just like there are literally no rules and you can do whatever you want and everybody around you is. Uh, so anyway, all that going on and then somebody drives a vehicle into it. I mean, you don't get much crazier than that. I mean, obviously like you, to your point, we're not going to get into the other stuff, but lots of other things happen that just yeah uh, uh, are terrible to think about.
1: And I guess, I guess now is probably, we we plugged it a little bit at the beginning, but if you haven't seen the documentaries, there's one on Netflix and one on HBO that Ben mentioned earlier. Uh, definitely check them out. It goes into detail. So uh, a little bit of a trigger warning on that. There's some yeah uh, sexual assault involved, mm-hmm. but um they are good documentaries if you're looking for the inside scoop so that was the second day they had, then there was a the last day so there was another day of of swimming through shit water to get to see the stage um, if you
0: can imagine the conditions from day 2 getting even worse i mean they did because there's just less resources yeah. there's you know things just keep dwindling and people are getting more and more angry so yeah
1: so the third day goes on, you know, it's not really good. Nobody's really having a good time anymore. Um, but they get to the headline. So everything happens. They get to the headlining stage of day three and the band that is closing the show out is uh, red hot chili peppers, which makes sense actually given the time. I think California huge, had yeah. just come out, um, not that long ago. So it was, uh, it, it was a smart move to do it that way. Um, so they're playing. and at the original Woodstock, there was a apparently a setup, and I have I don't really know about this too much, but there's a setup where they passed around candles and everybody kind of was in unity holding these lit candles around. And so somebody thought, and it's unclear to the two of us how this happened because one documentary says it was some group that was not affiliated with the event. The other one says it was actually the event organizers. Yep. But somehow somebody started passing out candles. They lit them and Chili Peppers, uh, were they playing under the bridge, I think?
0: I think so. That's, I think that's when they said that the candles started getting lit.
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, so they give these people that are pissed off to the max. Um, Fred Durst a, a night earlier had just whipped them into a frenzy and they give them an open flame. And uh, that turns out to be the downfall of the event so people get these flames and they immediately start lighting things on fire uh, apparently it was very beautiful
0: during under the bridge yeah for about like 30 30
1: seconds yeah
0: as that song is going and you see this this beautiful light spreading throughout the crowd in the dark and, you know apparently for for a brief moment in time it's like wow look at this because again a crowd that size for however long all doing the same thing. They're enjoying the show and they're, they're, mm-hmm. the light is spreading through the crowd. More powerful imagery I would struggle to find. Mm-hmm. But this is a powder keg and when you put a flame near the powder keg, well, you know what happens.
1: Yeah. So so they start lighting, lighting anything and everything in their power on fire. So there's those boards around the sound stage they're lighting on fire. People are up in the scaffold still running the sound equipment for the chili peppers while the freaking structure is on fire um which is wild they finally bailed out of there i think but um other people are lighting you know piles of trash on fire uh, which
0: there were plenty of piles many. of trash there, there yeah. was lots of fuel for that fire
1: so uh, I, I was reading a quote here on wikipedia anthony kiedis compared it to apocalypse now when he yeah. looked out into the crowd and just these these giant bonfires are just starting to spring up out of nowhere they were lighting uh, um, vendor stuff on fire and eventually like refrigeration tanks and things were exploding. So it sounded like bombs were going off. Um, and so it just slowly descended into chaos. And for some reason, the Chili Peppers thought it would be good to do an encore and come back out. And uh, what song did they play when they came out for the encore?
0: Well, they came out, They, I think if I remember correctly, the the event staff or the, the uh, promoters We're saying hey can you guys go back out and try to yeah that's right try to bring them back because it was descending into chaos so they they thought maybe they could get them roped back in and for whatever reason which seems like more of an instigating thing than anything fred durst did they go back out on stage and play light my fire by Jimi hendrix
1: yeah so i As just learned the place
0: this. is burning down
1: <laughs> i just learned this reading wikipedia just now uh this is the reason apparently why they did that they said that and this is from anthony kiedis's autobiography okay Hin- uh, jimmy Hendrix's sister contacted them and said hey can you guys play fire to honor jimmy and his performance at the original woodstock okay and um so that's what they decided to do why they decided to wait until everything was literally descending into a of flame yeah i don't know but that's what they decided and again
0: to it could be some creative editing that made it look like they came Maybe. back out and played that yeah it, it could be either way that was that was their plan because apparently at some point word had spread there was going to be some big secret act to to, to cap the uh, night an advertised performer yeah. yeah and that's they don't really know how the rumor mill got started there but i think the thought was that the candlelight vigil will be
1: the the signal yeah
0: right the big send-off that's that's the special event well somehow word got out that michael jackson was going to be the prince was going to be like some huge act was going to show up unannounced and play a set after the chili peppers so all this fuel on the proverbial fire and then the candlelight vigil begins and the chili peppers are like good night everybody and then they play a video up on the big screen of Jimi hendrix playing and people just lose their minds because they're like where's prince whatever secret whatever the rumor mill had gotten around and and whipped these people into them they're like well it's going to be worth it if we stay till the end because such and such is going to be here and then that's it you know the the candles were the the big event and they so why not just burn this motherfucker down and that is what they, i mean looting just violent, flipping cars over like any imagine any war torn footage yeah, you've I've, ever seen
1: i've actually got some stats here they they tallied up some stuff so okay um apparently there were atms i guess to get cash out to buy your 18 dollar bottle of water um so there was uh, estimated that $22,000 were stolen from atms during these riots um and Eventually, uh, about 12 tra- trailers, a small bus, a number of booths, and porta potties were damaged by fire. Um, some had coolant or propane tanks that exploded. We were talking about that. And um, one guy actually died. Um, well, no, actually, this says three people total died at the festival. Yep. Um, two people died before uh, the last day. And then the last, the last one to die was actually uh, there for Metallica show. He's like a lifelong Metallica fan. And uh, he died. Apparently his body temperature was 107 degrees um, when he passed away, unfortunately. So apparently,
0: um, and, and this came a lot of, we were talking about this right before we started the in the HBO documentary, you really get insight into, they kind of use him as like a narrative thread throughout their documentary. It's, The Netflix is split up into three episodes, and the Mm -hmm. HBO is just one feature. Um, Throughout the HBO documentary, they sprinkle in information about this kid who was really big, really big Metallica fan. And they even had some journal entries from him, and they would kind of read through it. You know, he's like, today was tough, but it's all going to be worth it when I get to see Metallica. You know, and then his friends were interviewed. So that's a very interesting kind of narrative tool they use. And it's pretty obvious early on something bad happens because this, you realize this guy's not being interviewed. He's being talked about in the past tense. So, you know, that's leading up to ultimately his death. And, and I believe it was, they, they treated him improperly uh, as far as when, when he collapsed, uh, they didn't treat him for heat exhaustion.
1: Yeah. This says that they initially tried to treat his symptoms because he's having seizures Mm-hmm. um and so they thought he was just od would on drugs but it yeah. turned out that he was having heat exhaustion or, mm-hmm. or heat stroke i think they officially said he had hyperthermia yeah um yeah
0: and that's that's ultimately what he they they could have saved him but it, i guess the in the moment they tried try to treat him for something else quickly and that didn't do him any favors and yeah he was not able to
1: yeah, so riding. they had they had to call in the state troopers, so they'd call in the big guns to come, kind of quell the quell the thing okay. here. So um, it was pretty wild. Apparently, there was between five and seven hundred state troopers, which is a lot. That's a uh, lot. Came in and, and kind of shut things down. There's different differentiating accounts on did they actually close things down or just let people kind of rage out until they fell asleep and then put everything out. The next morning it's hard to tell but uh uh, this new york state of department of health estimates that there were 5162 medical cases related to the festival alone which is a lot of people Um, and and
0: probably not equipped to handle that many yeah apparently
1: it took three weeks to clean up the site after they were done and uh, they spent about seventy eight thousand dollars putting down new sod um where there was grass on site so had to
0: fill up that shit water
1: yeah yeah so it's uh it was a wild event people were not happy at the end of it um and then uh eventually uh, somebody for the san francisco examiner came out and said this was the day that the music died Mm -hmm. so there you have it, Woodstock 99.
0: Um, Woodstock 99. I don't think there should ever be another Woodstock after the disaster that was Woodstock
1: 99. And there never has been. I don't think there's any plans to do that. Well, one.
0: The, the initial uh, plan was to do one every 30 years. Oh, wow. So, uh, but, spoiler alert, uh, the original founder of the Woodstock Festival has passed on. Yeah. Uh, he's actually interviewed in the Netflix documentary. and I don't know about you, but like in the in the original or in the uh hbo documentary there was archival footage of him interviews from like the original woodstock and things like that and he was a young kid and i didn't, you know i didn't get a good impression of who he was in this new newer documentary where they actually talked to him i thought he was just a real smug prick like yeah, I, agreed. I, I did not, not i
1: was gonna call him a douche. Yeah. So. Um, which you know he's passed on now so yeah i don't like talking ill of the dead but
0: uh, yeah I, I i was i've kind of felt bad when it's when it reveals that he had passed away shortly after they shot all that stuff but i was like i still don't think he was a good person and yeah. it's it, it just something he was he was odd and well it was like he
1: was in weird denial about the whole yeah Woodstock 99 That's... thing
0: another thread through both documentaries is the press conferences that would take place at kind of at the beginning and end of each day
1: which were not scheduled to actually happen they had to do them out of
0: they were some were scheduled to happen I think on the there's one that 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 was kind of a on the off the cuff I think it was on it was toward the last day maybe the morning of the last because the the interview had it on
1: pay-per-view right so they were doing like check-ins with the people
0: and they so but just i mean you know for the for the local press for they were doing these press conferences big press junkets every day for the event and i think the morning after there was not supposed to be a Uh, press conference and they ended up having to have one because it's like uh you pretty much burned the place down um so but and they uh, in all these press conferences in the morning so many accounts of they were just sweeping stuff under the rug they're like yeah everything's going great uh yeah we're, we're having a, there's you know there were there was like a dozen knuckleheads last night that caused some trouble but you know we, we squashed that pretty quick and it's like no no you didn't uh and and you see people from the press people uh, basically counterpointing everything they're saying or basically disproving everything they're saying and then they cut to footage of the actual press conference where they're just flat out lying about how things were handled or what happened uh all in the sake of well, we don't want too much bad press because we want to do this again. We want to make a yeah, lot more they money. They want to make again. more money. Yeah. You know. So uh, anyway, that that was just another interesting tool they used to, and 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 again, it could be creative editing. I don't think it was. And even the the talking heads of the promoters just seemed like they were blind to a lot of that because they, I mean, blinded by money, which happens quite often but just they they didn't want to see it that way and they're like
1: yeah it was that fucking fred
0: durst if yeah. he hadn't if he hadn't showed up uh, that well, wouldn't have happened.
1: well i was going to ask you as we as we wrap up i know we've been going for a little while here so um as we kind of wrap things up who who do you think is to blame for is there a single person to blame for all of this i think
0: i think ultimately i mean yeah there's there were a lot of elements but i think ultimately it all comes down to the focus on profits over anything else which i i would say are is is solely on the promoters for all the corners they cut because that that was the first domino that knocked all the rest down and yeah fred durst didn't help again he's not a smart man Um, (laughs) I, i would not argue that he he you know he had nothing to do with it he certainly didn't help things but to to for them to turn and point the finger at him it's like well you're just looking for somebody to blame because you can't admit that this was (laughs) he didn't help but you you really kind of started that again he didn't knock all the he didn't tip that first domino ever you had done that days before uh, months before in the planning of the event so to me the promoters and their their greed is what is is the is mostly to blame other things didn't help but that's where I think the most blame should go.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree to an extent. I think they were never focused on having a good festival and making the experience good. I think it was just about what can we do the least of to get the most money out of it, which I, I understand. I, I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, obviously people made a lot of money. Something I literally just learned, I was clicking around the Wikipedia page here. Um, they had planned another Woodstock, um, Woodstock 50, was was planned for uh, august 2019 uh and was canceled yeah. um because yeah. of a variety of issues but um and then apparently the, the founder passed away so i don't know if they're ever going to do it again but i think it became less about people having an experience and about how much money can we make off of those people and that's where it just went wrong honestly i think if they had not cut so many quarters or done some stuff that is more focused on the festival experience. So real security, for example, yeah, right. Um, you know, it probably would have been a, a pretty good event.
0: It, I think it could have been. And yeah, I, I am, I, I'm pretty firmly in the camp of there should not ever be another Woodstock. Agreed. Um, yeah. But I also hate it for the people that saw the original and knew what it was and might want to redeem the event so I, I could understand why people might want to do it especially now that the original founder and i forget his name
1: michael lang uh, is the michael guy's Lange. name yeah
0: uh now that he has passed on uh if if maybe the reins were handed over to somebody else maybe maybe it could be redeemed i don't know but it's going to be tough to forget cuz even though i didn't understand what had happened at the time i remember seeing footage on the news of just the the wasteland yeah it looked it looked like
1: you know bosnia or something yeah
0: and and that's so many people throughout the documentary say is this a where are we is this a third world country because it looked like a disaster had come through and in many ways it did so i i i see i i think i'm still more let's not ever do that again you know if you're gonna if you're gonna try to break the record of biggest concert ever do it under a different name with different people at the helm but you know but i also i could understand wanting to redeem what the original woodstock was so i don't know it's
1: yeah i mean they've got some good festivals out there now you know Lollapalooza is one that goes on uh coachella um i guess burning man if you want to call it a festival i don't know what you call burning man but um you know there's some there's some ones that have come in and and carried the the mantle but i think you're right i think woodstock probably should be left in the 90s yeah it, well, it probably
0: should have been left in the 60s uh but you know it ultimately because now you know when you only really had two big ones that that black eye looks a lot bigger when it's just a couple of events rather than you yeah. know there's one out of ten that had yeah. an issue uh yeah. especially at the on the scale of Woodstock 99. so yeah I think I think we should put a bow on it Mag, magnum
1: yeah well uh, you know go crank up your Limp biscuit get out your get out your candle and uh don't want anything on fire but i think this is a good conversation i enjoyed it and it uh i'm david pumpkins
0: you know one has to wonder if david pumpkins had performed at woodstock 99 would it have changed how things went hmm. i mean it really could have brought people back together and you know Maybe change the course of history and we'd have Woodstock every year, but we'll never know because we'll never know. Thank you once again for joining us here at Group Chat After Dark. We love having you. You're always welcome. As long as you can put up with us, we love to have you. So catch us anywhere that you can find social medias and whatnot. We're on the Twitter. We're on the Facebook. We're on the YouTube. That's about it because we don't do... Some of the other things, so not anywhere. But if you want to listen to this podcast, you can do it pretty much anywhere. Anywhere you get a podcast, if you search group chat after dark, chances are you're going to find us. You can also find us at rather donkey productions.com, todsucks.com, group chat after dark.com, dukehouston.com, todsucks.com, spelled differently. You can find us anywhere. And all those things will get you back to Group Chat After Dark if that's your introduction. But we've also got short films and web series and other things you might enjoy. And go buy some shirts with our logos on it. Why not? Or a mouse pad or a tote bag. Just do it. Just do it. We don't care. We're all about money here. That's what we're about. Like Michael Lang of Woodstock 99. Anyway, thank you once again. And we will catch you next month on Group Chat After Dark.